Good morning. Um, if you are a children, you can head out to Children's Church. If not, maybe you can say hi to somebody, give somebody a hug. You know, handshakes are okay if you're not a hugger. If you're not a hugger, you're probably in the wrong spot, though. We hug around here. You guys are quiet. You can, you can say hi. We've got a minute. The kids are going to leave, and if you don't talk and you just stare at me, it's awkward. So if you just want to, it'll be okay. I'll get your attention when we're ready. I'll be okay. And more awkward staring. This is awesome. It's going to go well today. It's going to go well. Nick, does this make you feel weird? So it's happening times about 70 to me right now. So I don't know. I don't know. I didn't know if I was the only one or not. So, man, weird. All right. Um, I'll just talk then if we're just going to stare at me. Um, <laughs> we're going to be in James 5 this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can kind of head that way. If not, or you can't see it, it'll be on the wall back here behind me. Um, but man, this morning, I'm so excited about this word. I'm so excited about James. Uh, I love the book of James. I'm thinking Bible school right now. <laughs> That's totally, totally what I was thinking about. Games, we're going to play games. Um, yes, Anthony wants to eat some more of that. Uh, gosh, what was it? Yeah, dog, it's corned beef, I think. But yeah, we took the label off, I don't remember. No, I would never give anybody spam. Um, I'm not that mean. Um, but this, I'm sorry if you like spam. Sorry, spam people. Don't be mad at me. Um, but uh, this morning we're going to be in James 5, and we're going to uh, continue talking about um, prayer. We've been talking about prayer the past few weeks in this series, Anything. And, um, man, just so excited about what God's speaking through that. I didn't know uh, quite where we were going to be this morning. And um, anyway, the past little bit, not this morning, obviously. I did study, I promise. Um, Hopefully that shows in a second. Um, but um, the the past couple of days, I've been God. Where where would you have us to be? And and to be honest, I really thought it was going to be somewhere else. And anyway, when I went to study, it just turns out it was not where it was going to be. So this morning we're going to be in James, and we're going to continue that series. Anything, but before we do that, um, I just want to pray um, because I I got to focus, and and we need to focus. And anyway, let's just do that. Father God, this morning we thank you. Um, God, I pray this morning you help us just to lock our eyes on you. God, I could spend a lot of time talking up here, but that's not going to do anybody any good. And um, God, I just need you to calm my spirit so I can hear from you. So God, this morning as we open your word, God, I'm just praying that you stir in this place. Um, God, I know that uh, as much as you want to be heard this morning, that, that there's distractions and there's life and there's all kinds of things that would keep us from that today and, and the enemy doesn't want us to hear that but God I also know that none of that stuff matters if you want us to hear you today that there's no enemy that's stronger than you there's nobody speaks louder than you there's no distraction that can distract us from you um, so God I'm just praying grace um, God, that you would you'd give us grace today to hear from you. Um, God, we can't hear you if you don't allow us to hear you. Um, we can hear somebody talk, but it's grace that allows us to hear your voice. And um, God, I'm just praying that this morning. God, I know in this room um, there's a million things probably going on um, just in different lives. Uh, and there's a million reasons today uh, why we should be thinking about anything and everything else. But God, there's one really big reason today. Um, 
but there's one thing to think about, and that's you. So I'm just praying, God, that you just um, speak into this place. God, that you'd open our eyes um, and our ears and our hearts. And that's a work of your grace. It's not an intellectual thing. Um, God, I don't have any pressure on me this morning because good talk, bad talk, you still talk. Um, And um, God, I'm just praying that you do that. I don't need fancy words. I need a powerful representation of the Spirit. It's not about me. Uh, So God, this morning, just speak. And um, God will listen. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name, Jesus. We pray. Amen. Man, um, sometimes it's just good to pray that truth. Uh, I think sometimes we think it depends on us, and it just it really doesn't. Uh, uh, so this morning, we're going to be in James 5, and we're going to continue this series, Anything. We've been talking about the past few weeks, and it's a series that deals with prayer. Um, yes, okay, one, yeah. one person, prayer. Yeah, I love prayer. Um, I'm glad we're excited about prayer. Uh, but... We've been talking about prayer the past few weeks, and when I say that we've been talking about prayer, what I don't mean is we've been talking about like how to pray. This is not the like place, I'll, I'll totally do that if you need to later, but this is not the, the place that I feel like God wants us to do that this morning, because for most of us, we know how to pray, or at least how to like put words together and it sound like a prayer, and um, some of us know it really well, and we pray really fancy prayers, um, and for a lot of us, we even know that like prayer is an important thing that we should pray. Like it's, If you've been around church very long, obviously prayer is something we should do. And for most of us, maybe even we would say that prayer is a powerful thing. Um, but the crazy thing about that is if, if you're anything like me, you don't always pray like prayer is a powerful thing. There's like a disconnect. Like, yes, we believe prayer is a powerful thing, but we don't really pray like prayer is a powerful thing because when we pray, like what are the most common times we pray? Like right before we go to bed or when we wake up, we'll be like, God, thanks for keeping me alive or God, keep me alive, right? For most of us, it's probably a reality anyway. It's not really a crazy prayer to pray. Maybe for some of you it is, but for me, it's, it's not, or at least in my brain, I don't think it is. You never know. Or we pray, like, right before we eat, God bless this food to our bodies. And, like, I don't even know what that means, but, like, we pray that. If you got to pray over your food, God, keep me alive, then probably should find somewhere else to eat, right? We've said that before. Um, but, like, we don't pray for big things or scary things or crazy things most of the time because I, I guess we feel like God may not come through and we may get let down and we may be- start to believe that maybe there's not a God. And, if, if you pray a prayer and, and that challenges your belief in God, then, then maybe we didn't really have a very strong belief in God in the first place. Um, but Jesus, when he talks about prayer, he says these crazy things. He makes these big claims. He's like, anything that you ask in my name, I'll, I'll do or the Father will do. He even says, like two weeks ago, we talked about if you say to this mountain, get up and move in faith then the mountain will be picked up and cast into the sea. And, like, that's such a crazy prayer, but Jesus says things like this. And what's amazing to me about that is Jesus believes things like that. And that's kind of what we've been talking about the past few weeks is, like, what what does anything look like? And this morning we're going to be in James 
5, and these are not the words of Jesus. Obviously, James is not like one of the Gospels. It's not like a narrative story of Jesus' life. James is a little bit different. James um, is, is a letter written to the church or to the, the Christians, the people that say they're saved or they know Jesus. And it's as we see in kind of the beginning, it's written to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. And what that means is this letter is written to early Jewish converts to Christianity. Actually, this chronologically may be the first letter written in the New Testament, which is pretty cool. Before all the Paul stuff, this letter probably existed. And it was written by a man named James. Um, and James actually is the half-brother of Jesus. That's amazing to me. Jesus and, and James would have grown up together, and he would have seen Jesus' ministry. It's a brother. You can't like, get that far away, right? Like We don't have planes, so it's just whatever. You're stuck around. And, and this is Jesus' half-brother, James. But the even more amazing thing about that is James was not a believer or a follower of Jesus while Jesus was alive on planet Earth. Like for his life, watching Jesus, he... He was not a follower of Jesus. And you may look at that and you may look, well, that's kind of that's crazy. Um, he saw the miracles up close. He would have heard his teachings. And that, that's true. But let me just put it to you this way. If your brother walked up to you and he said, hey, I just want you to know I'm the son of God, um, you'd probably look at him like they're crazy, as you should. Um, and that's probably what happened with James. Like, Jesus was probably viewed as, like, the crazy brother, right? Like, I don't know what he's doing again. He's out there, like, claiming to be the son of God. Oh, my gosh, people know I'm related to that guy. Like, that's probably their relationship up to this point in time. But the amazing thing is, is after the death and burial of Jesus, something happens to James, and he, he starts to believe, now, if your brother claims to be the son of God and he gets crucified and they put him in a hole, probably not going to just be convinced by that, right? It was a meeting with the resurrected Jesus that changed James's life and eternity. And James not only became a follower, but he became the leader at the church at Jerusalem. Um, and I think that's amazing and it's a really cool story because for years he, he was doubting Jesus and he didn't believe in Jesus. And then after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus changed his life. And it wasn't too late for Jesus to use James. And what's amazing to me about that is no matter where you are, um, it's not too late for God to do something amazing in and through you. And I think that's the story kind of on the story here in, in the book of James. It's never too late for God to do something amazing in and through you. So James writes this letter, and this letter has to deal with, like, how do we live out Christianity? How do we, how do, we do this thing, right? Jesus is gone now. Like, it was probably easier for the disciples when they were walking around behind Jesus. And he was like, hey, do this thing. Hey, do this thing. Hey, do this thing. And now Jesus is gone. He's back up into heaven. And we get these letters that teach us how to, how to live out Christianity, how to follow Jesus. And, and he gets to chapter 5, or he's not writing chapters, but the end of the book. And um, he starts to write about prayer. Then he, in 13, it's probably even titled, my lot's going dead here, uh, Effective Prayer. He's talking about prayer, and he's specifically talking about effective prayer. And I think for most of us, we would, we would love to know what effective prayer looked like. Because if we were honest, a lot of times when we pray, we probably feel like the prayer is not really going very far, right? And that's probably because of some of the things we 
ask for when we ask for when we talk about prayer hey god bless this food to our bodies i don't think jesus has to like show up for that right like hey god keep me alive like he's not going to beam down in the room for for anything like that but we pray these prayers and, and a lot of times we probably don't even feel like they're going anywhere so this morning we're going to talk about effective prayer and james just starts talking about it he says if anyone among you is suffering is anyone among you suffering? Is there anybody out there suffering? As, as he's writing this letter to, to the church kind of dispersed all around the area of Jerusalem, he's, he's saying, is anybody out there suffering? Now, obviously, in, in, a, in a, the church, right, like not even just in this room, but just like the church that exists, there are people that are suffering. Actually, probably if we just took the first two rows, maybe in the first row, and we're like, anybody suffering out there? Like somebody even in the first row would probably be like, that's me, I got that, I'm, I'm suffering, right? Like there's somebody out there suffering, let alone this is a, this is a church that is enduring some form of persecution. There, there are people out there suffering, and he's talking about physical suffering in this moment. Is anybody out there suffering? Anybody out there dealing with anything? Anybody out there struggling? Anybody out there going through some stuff is what he's saying. And then he gives us, here's, here's the response to suffering in the church. He should, what? He should pray. Is anyone among you suffering? Here's the response to suffering. He should pray. Not he should try to fix it or he should try to work harder. Or he should read more. Or he should go to church more. Or he should, all these things. He says, here's the response to suffering in the church. He should pray. If anyone out there is suffering, he should pray. And what that leads us to believe is James here believes that there is an answer to suffering. And the answer to suffering is found in prayer. That prayer is effective. And when we are suffering, we can talk to God about that suffering. Here's why. Because God cares about our suffering. If you're going through stuff today, if you feel like you're suffering with something today, God cares about your suffering. If, if he didn't care about our suffering, why would James tell us to, to pray about our suffering? He says, if anybody is out there dealing with stuff, going through stuff, feels like their life's falling apart, if anybody's out there struggling, if anybody out there is barely making it, here's the response to that. He should in fact, pray, because God cares about our suffering. God cares about our hardships. God cares about those things. He goes on, he says, if anyone is cheerful, well, that's kind of a contrast, right? We go from suffering to, to cheerful just in, in just one verse. If anyone is cheerful or happy or has it all together or feels like life's going great, here's the response to that. He should sing praises. So if you're suffering, you pray. And if you have it all together and you're not suffering, you, you sing praises. Now, what is, what is singing praises? Isn't that just kind of like, talking to God as well. Like, God, you're great. God, you're good. God, you're amazing. God, you never let me down. You know, like, well, what is that? You're just talking to God. It's kind of the same idea. He didn't leave the subject of prayer to go to pray. See, it's kind of the same idea. We're just communicating with God. Worship is communicating with God. And he says, if anybody out there feels like it's going great, he should sing praises. Well, what's he saying in verse 13? No matter where we are in life, we have a response, and that response is to speak to God. See, we forget that sometimes, right? If I was like, how many of you feel like you pray more when you're going through stuff? A lot of us maybe would be like, eh, it's me. 
right? Like if, I, if I'm struggling eventually, like maybe 17 days down the road after I figure out that I can't fix anything and I've tried everything and I've like dug through everything and I've rearranged everything and everything's still falling apart and I finally realize that I can't do anything, so I start to pray. I'm really good at that. Our immediate response when we start to go through something should be to do what? To pray. Our immediate response when we start to go through something for most of us is not to pray. And that's why he writes this to a group of people called the church. Because they are just like us. They aren't good at this thing. They don't really know how to live out their faith. And we can pretend like we're good at it. And we can act like we're good at it. And we can put on the right clothes. And we know what time to show up. And we know kind of what songs to sing and all that stuff. But we're not good at it. So he writes about it. And he says, here should be your response First thing, not last thing, not last resort, not I can't fix it. Here's the first response to when I'm going through stuff, speak to God. Speak to God about it because God cares. God actually cares. God sees you and he cares. And when you're suffering, God wants to hear from you. Not after you've tried everything, but right now in this moment when your life is falling apart, God wants to hear from you. When you're suffering, God wants you to talk to him. And then he flips around and he says, but wait, because not everybody in the room is suffering today. Some of you, everything's going great for, I don't know where you are, but some of you, somebody out there had a really good week. I don't know where you are because it's, it's the, you're the minority today. I just want you to know. But some of you guys, like everything's going great for you. And he says, when everything's going great for you, you don't need to forget God. Because let's be honest today, when everything's going great, well, what do we do? We, we forget God. You, you remember the story of the lepers, like the lepers come and Jesus heals all the lepers and all the lepers leave. And then one guy comes back and he's like, hey, I just, I just want to worship you for a minute because I just realized when I was going down the road, I didn't have leprosy anymore. You healed me, so I came back. And Jesus looks at him and he's like, where are the other nine guys? See, the people that stick around after we get cheerful, that's the minority. And James is like, hey, I just want you to know today, after you've been healed, after you're not suffering, after you're cheerful, after everything's going all right, that's when we need to lift our hands and talk to God some more. It's not like a, I'm going to pray when I'm in the valley, and when I get on the mountain, I'm just going to like ignore God and pretend like it doesn't, he doesn't exist until I get back down in the valley. He's like, no matter where you are today on the spectrum of good to bad, you may be in the very bottom, you may be on the very top, or you may be somewhere in between. We got something to do today, and that thing is to talk to God. So if anybody is suffering, I want you to know today, God cares, and he sees you, and he hears you. And what he's waiting on for you today is for you to lift your eyes to the one where your help comes from. He wants you to turn your attention to heaven, and he wants you to cry out in the pit. No matter what the pit is, self-made or other people made, he wants you to cry out in the pit. But when you get out of the pit, God says, don't forget me. I still want to talk to you. See, I think here's the problem with prayer is we think prayer is like this God genie thing where we rub the lamp when we get in trouble and God comes out and he has to do what we ask him to do. And then he goes back in the lamp for the next time we get in the hole. But prayer is actually like a telephone line to God. God wants to communicate with us. He wants us to speak to him and he wants to speak to us. It's not this, hey God, give me this thing, give me this thing, give me this thing, give me this thing thing. It's a relational thing. I think we talked about that last time we talked about prayer. Prayer is a relational thing. And if you only talk to somebody when you need something, that's not a relationship. That's called being a user. And you don't like those people. 
But a lot of times, like, what do we do with God? God, give me the thing, give me the thing, give me the thing. Oh, I got the thing. Okay, I'll see you next time I need a thing. And James looks at this church, looks at us today, because he knows none of us are good at this. Can we just admit that today? None of us are good at this. I'm not good at this. You're not good at this. None of us are good at following. And if you think you are, you're probably lost. The closer I get to Jesus, the farther I feel away from Jesus. If you're like, man, I'm, I'm burning it up. I'm killing it. I'm the best Jesus follower ever. You're probably not even following Jesus. And he writes to a group of people as probably a person who's not good at this. And he writes to a group of people who are not good at this. And he he says some very elementary things to us, things that we know but we don't participate in. And he says, no matter where you are today, pray. If anyone's suffering, pray. If anyone is cheerful, sing praises. It's just praises, right? Like it's even in the word. Like you can see it in there. We're, we're, We're responding to God. We're talking to God no matter where we are in life. And that's what he's saying in 13. He goes on and he says, hey, let's talk about some more things because we're not done yet. If anyone among you is sick or is anyone among you sick? Anybody in the room today sick is what he's saying. Anybody out there like not just struggling in life, but like you're physically struggling. You got this illness, this disease, this thing, you, you, have, you have sickness, whatever that looks like, right? We can start listing them, but I'm not a doctor, so that'd probably get boring for you really quick because I know like two sicknesses, right? You can have a cold or you can have cancer. That's like the only two things I know. But, like, but he says anybody out there with any kind of physical sickness is what he's talking about. Yes, medical things or my cells don't do what they're supposed to do. But yes, chemical things or my chemicals don't do what they're supposed to do. And yes, muscular things or my muscles don't do what they're supposed to do. Like all the things. Anybody out there sick? Talking to all the people in all the churches all around the area. Is anybody? What do you think the odds that somebody would be like, yep, that's me? Right, like first row. We can just go the first row again. Anybody dealing with some physical things? Somebody be like, yep, that's me. Like he, he's hitting all over the board today. He says, anybody out there sick? Here's the response to being sick. What's he say? You should call for the elders of the church, leaders of the church, and they should pray. Again, here it is, pray over him after anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. There's like this thing that's going on here, and it's like, hey, you're going to get some people together, and we're going to come down, and we're going to pray over your thing, and we're going to anoint you with oil, and we're going to just pray over you, right? Like, But let's just go down to the thing we're talking about today. What's the thing we're talking about today? Prayer. If anybody's sick, what's the response to, to sickness? Prayer. Talk to God about it. And you don't have to, look at this. Now he's saying you don't have to talk to God alone about these things. We're, we're in a community because God placed us in a community. And we're supposed to be a community together and care about each other. And he says, here's the response if you get sick. Get other people around you to pray for your sickness. Not, oh, I don't know people to know I'm going through this. I don't know people to know I'm struggling with this. Like, let's get the church around, the people of God around, and let's put some people behind this thing and let's pray. But the response is still the same, isn't it? Prayer. If anybody's sick, anybody dealing with any physical thing, what's the response to the physical thing? The physical thing's response is prayer. And in 15, it says this the prayer of faith. Will do what? They will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. 
Now, I like how he worded that because it says the prayer will save the sick person, right? Like God will hear the prayer, but who will raise them up? The Lord will. You know, because if we could just walk in the hospital today and be like, let me pray over you, let me pray over you, let me pray over you and clear out the hospital today, we would be making some money today. But we don't have any power, do we? You just say, yes, I don't want you to leave thinking you're going to go to the town and country and pray over the lottery tickets today. Like, we don't have any prayer. Sorry, power. We maybe don't have any prayer either, but we definitely don't have any power. But we do have a way to communicate with somebody who has some power. And that's what he's saying here. A prayer is empty words directed at the wrong person. A prayer is empty words with no faith behind it. A prayer is empty words until you direct it at the one who has all the power. And at that point in time, it's like an extension cord, right, going into the outlet. Now we've got some juice and we can do something. And it's not because of us, it's because of him. And he looks at him and he's like, hey, if you're sick, here's the response to sickness. Bring some people around you and let's speak to God about it. And let's believe, here's the thing for all of us Baptist people, or maybe Reformed Baptist, or semi-Baptist, or used to Baptist, or like all of us, if you believe that God actually heals people, because he can, then maybe he will. You ever prayed for somebody and they're sick and you just, in your head, you're like, I'm going to pray this, but I just, I don't think he's going to do this. It's not really like a prayer in faith. So he says the, the prayer in faith will, will save a sick person and the Lord will raise him up. And then it has, I looked this up yesterday because I'm not good at the English language, but it has a semicolon. Yes, I know what that is. I, I didn't have to look up what it is. I had to look up what it does because I didn't know. And it can either precede a list of things or it can connect two related but not necessarily the same ideas. So what he's doing here is there are two different ideas about to happen. And I don't want you to miss that. But it's the same relation. And it says... The prayer of faith will save a sick person and the Lord will raise him up, first idea. And, second idea, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, what it's not saying here is totally like if you pray for a sick person, then they're going to get saved. I do want to say today that sometimes God uses sickness to get people in a position to save people. I've seen it happen. I've heard stories of it happening. Sometimes we have to get in the right spot in life for God to, to speak to us in a way that we're going to listen to. Right? Like without a thief hanging on a cross beside Jesus being on the cross, that conversation probably wouldn't have went the same. Like if he was standing on the ground watching the crucifixion, I don't know that he would have said to Jesus, hey, you didn't do nothing wrong. Nobody else was saying that. So when you get to heaven, remember me. 
he had to be in the right position to say that prayer. And the right position for that man was hanging on a cross, living his last moments. And in that moment, he could see Jesus. Jesus does use sickness to get people into a place where they can hear from him. I'm not saying he causes sickness, although I believe God is a sovereign God and nothing can happen outside of the power and the permission of God. But I am saying today that God uses every single moment and every single thing. He doesn't waste any negative thing in the ability to turn it into a good thing. But what it is saying here is that we have the ability to pray for people that are trapped in sin. And God hears and God saves. There's not a whole lot of lost people out there praying to be not lost anymore. So the prayer has to come from a different place on that. See, all these other things, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, pray. If you're sick, pray. The response is for that person to to communicate with God or maybe a group of people on behalf of that person with that person to communicate with God. But in this moment, what he's saying is we as a church can pray for those people who do not know God and God will hear and God does save. See, I think we we forgot that somewhere. Because we might every once in a while be like, oh yeah, Jimmy's lost. Let me fire off a prayer for Jimmy. But we're not constantly coming around Jimmy praying that Jimmy finds Jesus. That God would just, through his grace, open up an avenue, a door that that he could see him. We're, We're not coming with that. And here James is saying to to the church, there are people around you who don't know Jesus and prayer changes things. He says in 16, therefore, because of this, because prayer changes things, it says this, and this is weird. It says, confess your sins to, hear me, one another and pray for one another so that what? You may be healed. Now I'm going to get a little strong with us this morning. So just know that I love you and this is coming from a place of love and I'm not trying to beat on us today. Because it's not a us problem, it's a church problem. We've grown up in a church that this is unwise advice. When James is writing this, he's writing to a group of people in the the context of the church. And what he's saying to these people in the context of the church is that you in the church can go to each other. You can go to your friends and your brothers in Christ, and you can tell them your deepest, darkest, most shameful sin secrets. And their response to that should be for them to pray for you. That is what God intends for the church to look like. That we're not some club that pretends like we have it all together and then beats on the ones who don't. 
but that we're a group of real and honest people who can together confess our sins to each other, not with the idea that some other person can save you from your sin, but because prayer changes things. And if we're ever going to escape the bonds of this flesh, we need other people praying for us and with us. And that is unwise advice in the church today. Because we have forgot everything that Jesus has said on the subject. Example, take the plank out of your own eye before you worry about the splinter in your brothers. We are all, every single one of us, sinners. And apart from the help and intervention of God, every one of us would leave this place and burn forever in eternity separated from God. You are better than no one. You have no more together than anyone else. You are not holy and you are not perfect and you are not good. You are screwed up just like everybody else and just like me. And people are tired of us pretending like we are anything else. It is a shame. It is a shame. It is a shame that James says these things and not one person in this building would feel comfortable talking about any of this with anybody. And that's not James's fault. And that's not Jesus's fault. It's because we pretend like we are better than we are. Apart from the help of God, you are lost. And it doesn't matter if your loss would come from homosexuality or lust or anger or, or lying or cheating. It doesn't matter. We are all lost. And today, lying is the exact same kind of sin as homosexuality, as drug use, and because you don't deal with certain things to look at another human and pretend like they are less than you or deserve less grace than you is a shame. And it's a mockery of the gospel of Christ. We are all equal in the way that we are all doomed without God. And we are living in bonds of sin today because we would rather beat somebody up and chew them up and spit them out over their sin than admit that we are sinners. And what we've done is we've shackled ourselves and we've shackled others. Because we cannot follow the design of God for the church because we are hypocrites. This is a hospital, not a courtroom. And I want to say to you today, if there's somebody around you that runs other people down because of their sins, what are they saying about you Amen. when you're not around? We need to learn to shut our mouth more and pray for people more. The church is the only organization I know that when they smell blood in the water, eats their own. Sin is a serious thing. We are not meant to live in it. God has laid out a plan to save and reconcile our brothers from said sin. And it's this. You go to that person, not their neighbor, not the person down the street, not the person that sits beside them in the pew, and you say, I'm worried about you. And I want to love you. And I want to pray for you in this because I see you're headed towards destruction. And there's an enemy who wants to eat you, and I don't want that for you. That's a big boy dealing with sin. 
Little boy dealing with sin is to tweet about it, to talk about it, to email about it, to have a conversation around the coffee about it. That is the wrong way, and you are a hypocrite if you do it. I've done it, and you've all done it, and it's wrong, and it should stop today. The idea is never to shame people and to punish people and to condemn people and to say God wouldn't have you because the truth of it is if God would have me, he would have anybody. The idea of dealing with sin in the church is this, to reconcile our brothers. And it happens first one-on-one, second two-on-one, and then if it gets that far to the church. If one-on-one, they repent and they're done, nobody else needs to know about it ever. That's God's recipe. And if you do it any other way, you're a hypocrite and a heretic. You're not following Christ. You're pretending like you're following Christ, and it's wrong, and you need to stop today. And more people in the church need to hear that. I'm not saying it out of anger. I've done it. I'm angry at me. But I am saying today that we can make a decision to change that. And when we do that, the church becomes a place that Jesus has structured it to be. And people can come in and they can say, man, I am struggling with this. And we can say in truth and with security, I will pray for you. And I'll never speak about this to anybody else on the planet. I'm not going to use it to beat you and to shame you. I'm going to use it to lift you up to God, and God will lift you up. Now, that's where I want to go to church. Anybody else? And here's the crazy thing. That's exactly what God intends for the church to be. Because when we can do that, what do we do? We disarm shame. And shame is the tool the devil uses to drive us from God. What does it say? Perfect love cast out fear. When we love each other, there's no fear and there's no shame. And God can heal people. And then we can do James 16. Therefore, confess your sin to one another and pray for one another so that, what? You may be healed. Not that you might or you could. You will. So what does James do in 13 through 16, he says, here's the response to basically everything in your life that you're going through. Um, Pray. I I can't really think of another person in the church that this wouldn't hit, do you? If you're suffering anything, pray. If you're not suffering, pray. If you're sick, pray. 
If you're struggling with sin, pray. If you know people that are lost, pray. Here's effective prayer. It's, it's prayer about everything. Effective prayer is, is prayer. Do you see any formula in there? If you're suffering, repeat after me. If you're lost, repeat after me. If you're, if you're cheerful, repeat after me. If you're struggling with sin, repeat after me. If you know lost people, repeat after me. That's not in there. The, the answer to effective prayer is not lining up the right words in the right way. Trying to impress God to move on our behalf. Effective prayer is simply prayer. And in this moment, James invites the church, a group of people like you and me, who are not good at this, to a place of prayer. And then when we have all that fleshed out, when we know that we can pray about anything and everything, and not only can we pray about it, we should pray about it, here's what he says. The intense prayer... Of the righteous is very powerful. The intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. You can pray about anything and everything, and you should. The intense prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. We got intense back there? Urgent. It's urgent in my other Holman. I don't have two Holmans, and they have different words, whatever. Urgent, the urgent prayer of a righteous person. Let's go with that. Urgent, intense, is earnest and persistent in response to a pressing situation. Earnest or honest, and and, and what's that second word? Persistent. An intense prayer or an urgent prayer is not a prayer that prays one time and then never is prayed again. not see if if you pray about something one time and never pray about it again you probably don't really care about said thing i've heard people stand on a stage and say if you pray it more than once that's not faithful that person obviously didn't read the whole bible they just picked some parts what's jesus say about the persistent widow she was given what she wanted because she wouldn't go away pray like that Pray in a way that you just won't go away. If you're suffering, pray in a way that you just won't go away. If you're cheerful, praise, pray in a way that you just won't go away. If you're sick, pray in a way that you just won't go away. If, if you are trapped in sin, pray in a way that you just won't go away. And if you know lost people, pray in a way that you just won't go away. That's what he's saying. An urgent prayer, an intense prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. Now, here's where we're going to get hung up for a moment because most of us now think, well, I'm just not good enough. I can pray more, but I don't know if I can be good enough because it says righteous on there. And this is righteous. We have definition for righteous. I know it, so we don't have to, but I think it's back there. Righteous is a a person who's morally right or justifiable, virtuous. Someone who's morally right, who's, who's 
morally good. Now, what do we just say? How many of us are, raise your hand if you're morally right and good. I'm going to pray for you later, right? Like, none of us. On our own, that is 100% true. If that's the answer to getting a prayer through, we might as well just give up on that, right? Because we're not morally right and good. We're not good at this. They weren't good at this. I've met people that believe they don't sin. Unfortunately, the Bible says that if that's you, that you're a liar and the truth's not in you. So how do we deal with that? We deal with it through the cross. See, on my own, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing on my own. I'm horrible on my own, like in, in, the, in the flesh. I'm, I'm pathetic. I'm not righteous. I'm nowhere close to righteous. But I'm not on my own. See, it says this in, in the Bible. He made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to what? To become sin. On our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God. How? In Him, in a relationship with Him. In Jesus, I am righteous. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing it wrong, is what he's saying here today. He's, he's just saying we can ask God for anything today, and God will hear us because he cares about us, because we have been moved into a place of righteousness through the cross. We just have to ask. The Bible says specifically you have not because you ask not. He, he's not here putting the sentence in here to exclude anyone. He's saying if you know Jesus, I just want you to know today your prayer is a powerful prayer. And you can pray about anything. You're like, well, Brad, I don't, I don't know if I believe that. Well, let's just get into the story that he tells just for a moment. I'm not going to take long, but I just want us to hear this together because all the context of that sets inside of this story. He says, Elijah, you remember him? Speaking to the 12 tribes at the dispersion, a bunch of Jewish people who would have been converted to Christianity would have known a lot about Elijah. If you don't, he's a prophet, Old Testament. Look him up later. You can Google it. You can figure it out. But he was a prophet, and he did some amazing things as a prophet. Like he, he, he had the power of God behind him as a prophet, and he did some miraculous things through God. And it says, Elijah, he was a man. What? <laughs> Elijah was a, a man. He was a man, he goes on, and he says, with a nature like ours. He was a man like us, flesh and blood like us. He was his bones on a frame like us. Like that was this guy. He had a heartbeat like us and lungs like us. In other words, what he's saying is there was no God DNA in this man. He wasn't some demigod or some lesser god. He, he was just like me and you. There's no difference genetically in me and Elijah. He was a man with, with a nature like ours. But listen to this, yet he prayed, what, earnestly, persistently and honestly. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months, this is the prayer. 
God, don't let it rain. Don't let it rain today. 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 That was the prayer for three years and six months. Can you imagine persistently praying for three years and six months about one thing? No, because we can't make it three minutes and six seconds about praying about one thing. Like, that's us. He prayed for three years and six months about this. And listen to this. It did not rain. That's not like a drought. That's a, that's a mega drought, right? Like everything's kind of done at that point in time. Three years and six months, he prays, God, don't let it rain. And then it didn't rain. And you're like, well, that, that could be coincidence, right? Like that's three years, six months. Yeah, 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 you know, maybe, maybe it happened. Um, 18. Then one day he prayed again. Three years, six months, same prayer, one day. All right, changing the prayer up today. And the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruits. Three years and six months, don't let it rain, don't let it rain, don't let it rain, don't let it rain. One day, wake up, hey, it's going to rain today. God, let it rain. And what happened? Man, the heavens opened up, and it rained. Moral to the story The intense prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. And Elijah's a man just like us. What's he saying? Today, your prayer is a powerful prayer. Your prayer today is a powerful prayer. Can I just say that, John, today? Your prayer, brother, is a powerful thing. Singling you out because it was weird, right? No, like, like for everybody, I was going to do more names, but I was like, John looked at me like it was weird, so I'm not going to do that. But your prayer today is a powerful thing. And he's speaking to everybody in the church today, everybody that's come to the cross, everybody that through Jesus has that righteousness. He's saying today, your prayer today is a powerful thing. Your prayer is not a lesser thing. Your prayer is not like some other thing. Your prayer is a powerful thing. And it's powerful not because of your words or your actions. It's not powerful because of you. Your prayer is not powerful because who you are. It's powerful because who we pray into. He's saying today, your prayer is the kind of prayer that can move mountains. I believe that. Your prayer today is the kind of prayer that can just it can open up seas. Your prayer today is the kind of prayer where you can get in a room with God and you can talk about some sick people that you know and God will do a work in some sick people that you know. Your prayer today is the kind of prayer that you can talk to God about people that don't know God and God will move in the lives of the people that don't know God. Your prayer today is the kind of prayer where when you're struggling with sin or your brother's struggling with sin, God can pluck them up out of sin today, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. And James is saying today to the church, if you know Jesus, your prayer is a powerful thing. It's not some little thing you just pray before you go to bed. It's not some little thing you pray before you eat. Your prayer is a weapon in the hands of a warrior of God. And we need more people that go to the war room today and get their weapons out 
and get in touch with God. He says it's about communion today and community with God. And you got that. You got that. Your prayer changes things. Like I think we left that saying because it was like something we put on the, the, the things in the front. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes everything. And I'm not suggesting today we hang it up in the room somewhere. But I'm saying today it's reality from the word of God. Prayer changes things and your prayer is a powerful thing. And that's why Jesus says things like, anything you ask in my name, anything you ask in my name, the Father will give you anything you ask. The Father will give you your prayer today is a powerful thing, so use it. So if anybody out there is suffering, what are you waiting on? Man, if anybody has it all together, what are you waiting on? Anybody out there sick? What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? Anybody, anybody out there dealing with sin? What, what are you waiting on? And anybody out there know somebody that needs Jesus? What are you waiting on today? Grab your weapon and get in the battle because your prayer is a powerful thing. I know anytime we hear something like that, there's somebody in the room saying, but I've been praying, Brad. I've been praying. I've asked God for this, and it's a no. I've asked God to heal, and it's, it's not looking good. I've asked God to save, and it's not looking good. I've asked God. that's true today. I'm, I'm not taking away God's element of free will today. He's not a genie. Just because you rub the lamp doesn't mean he's under your command. And sometimes God has reasons for saying no and praise God most of the time down the road he lets us know what those are. But I want you to know today, one no doesn't mean the next one's a no, and it doesn't mean the next one's a no, and it doesn't mean the next one's a no, and it doesn't mean the next one's a no. We may get all the no's, but it doesn't mean that everything forever is going to be a no. There is a God who can move and can act and who does care, and he wants to hear from you today. And I want you to know, as long as there is a possibility, just a shadow of a glimmer of hope today, what that means is God is not done, and the answer is maybe not what you think it is. And today we hold on in faith and we choose to say, God, I will fight to the last man because I believe that you see and you hear. And I'm not going to be accused today of not having because I didn't ask. So God, I'm calling out to you and I know you hear me. Father, today I'm calling out to you and I know you hear me. I don't have to question today if you're on the other line on this thing. Because I know who you are. 
I know that you are a loving Father who cares and sees. I know that you're a God who never leaves or forsakes, who never lets me down. I know that you're a God who cares about my soul and who cares about my heart and who cares about my life. And I know, God, you care about what I care about. So today I'm casting my cares at your feet. So this is the invitation today. If anybody's suffering, what are you waiting on? If there's anybody out there who's struggling, what are you waiting on? If there's anybody out there that needs a Savior, what are, you, what are you waiting on? If there's anybody out there that has family members that need a Savior, what are you waiting on? Your prayer today is a powerful thing. So I want to invite you this morning. There's nothing special about the front of this room. It's carpet and wood. But man, we can get down today in a place of possibility with God and we can get on our knees and we can cry out to a Father who sees And if you're struggling today or you know somebody who's struggling today, the response today is why don't you come down and you call out to God. Your prayer is a powerful thing, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. If anybody's cheerful, maybe what you need to do today is you need to come and you need to get down on your knees and you need to say, thank you, God. Because you've blown me away. What are you waiting on? You don't have to just pray when it's the bad times. You can pray when you're on the mountain today. If anybody among you is sick, man, why don't you grab somebody and take God up on his word today and get down here. What are you waiting on? Maybe they're not even here today. What are you waiting on? If anybody out there knows somebody who needs Jesus today, what are you waiting on? If there's anybody out there that needs Jesus today, what are you waiting on? Jesus left heaven. He come down here. He gave his life so you could be free and loved and forgiven. What are you waiting on? Your prayer today is a powerful thing. It's a thing that moves people from death to life. It's a thing that moves people from darkness into light. And God's saying today, if you need me, call out to me. I'm right here. You're not waiting on me today. I'm waiting on you. If anybody anybody in this place is struggling with sin today, what are you waiting on? There's a God who hears, and your prayer is a powerful thing today. Or maybe today we just need to cry out for the one struggling in sin, and your prayer today is a powerful thing. So today in this place, let's just lift our voice to heaven. Not because there's power in us, but because there's power in the name of Jesus today.